If you were with us last week, you will recall that the children of Israel's repeated disobedience to God led to the rise of a leader among them who was unfit to lead. We saw that in light of the values that we hold as Christians, leaders that are unfit to lead often arise from a human initiative or strategy that does not include God. They often possess a corrupt spiritual background and demonstrate a lack of moral principles in their life. They will prioritize their own interests and concerns above those of the people that they are called to lead. And unfit leaders will demonstrate a shallow and insincere faith, which is often expressed in using or manipulating God or his name for one's own purposes. We saw all of these elements in the life of Jephthah, a man who had risen to power in Gilead a region within Israel. Now that he is the leader over the people of Gilead, he is faced with a crisis. He finds that the Ammonites are a threat to take over the land that he and the Gileadites now inhabit. How is Jephthah going to respond to this crisis? In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see how this leader responds to the crisis, at least initially. The author of this particular passage focuses on the words of Jephthah. That is, the author places emphasis on the speech or the argument that Jephthah is making toward the king of Ammon. In fact, every verse in the passage we're going to look at this morning consists of Jephthah's words except for two verses. One of them is verse 28, which is the last verse in the passage we're going to look at this morning. I hope you brought your Bibles with you because we don't have a screen. And like I said last week, it's important to see the, the verses in the mind's eye. It helps us to remember better and let God's word sink into one's mind and one's heart. Verse 28 of Judges chapter 11 says this, however, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah had sent him. Clearly, the king of Ammon did not pay any attention to the words of Jephthah. And the question is, why? Why does Jephthah or why does the king of Ammon totally disregard and pay no attention to the words that Jephthah is speaking to him through a messenger? Now, it's important to keep in mind that Jephthah is acting like a statesman. He is now the leader of the people of Gilead. And so what we're going to see is one leader, Jephthah, speaking to another leader, the king of Ammon. And the question is, why was Jephthah's argument or speech unsuccessful in getting his opponent, his political opponent, to be specific, to listen to him? 
That's the question that the text is going to raise. Why is the king of Ammon totally disregarding the words of Jephthah? We're going to see first that Jephthah's words were unsuccessful in getting his opponent to listen to him because he had an exalted view of himself. Verses 12 and 13 of Judges chapter 11. Now, remember, Jephthah is now the leader of the Gileadite people. He rose to power in the passage that we saw last week. Now we continue with the story beginning in verses 12 and 13. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah saying, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. Now, when the king of, uh, when the, king of, uh, of the Ammonites says that you took away my land from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok into the Jordan, he's specifying the disputed, the boundaries of the disputed territory. The uh, Arnon River was, uh, was, the Arnon was a river, and that was the southern border of the territory that was in dispute, the southern boundary. The Jabbok River was a river to the north, and that was demarcated the northern boundary of the territory in dispute. And the Jordan River was a boundary to the west. And so the land that's being disputed is to the east of the Jordan River with the Jabbok River to the north and the Arnon River to the south. And he says, the king of Ammon, give me the land that belongs to me because you took it. But what I want you to notice is how Jephthah views himself. He views himself as a king. How do I know that he views himself as a king? There's several things that he does that shows that he sees himself as a king. Number one, he dispatched envoys to, king, to the king of Ammon. He sent ambassadors. That is something that a king would do. Secondly, Jephthah negotiated directly with the king of Ammon, which means that as a king, he sees himself as a king, he's negotiating with the king of Ammon directly, which means he sees himself as an equal to another king. Thirdly, Jephthah dealt with the conflicting issues as if they were personal between him and the Ammonite king, one king in conflict with another king. And finally, Jephthah claimed that the land that was in dispute was his own. He says, why do you come, why do you, why do you, uh, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? Jephthah says that the land that you want is mine, meaning that he's a king because only king possess lands. He is a king of a kingdom. And clearly, Jephthah sees himself as a king. But there's a problem. Jephthah is not a king. Jephthah is a leader of a particular region within Israel. 
and he clearly has an exalted view of himself. He's not a king, but he sure is acting like one. And the king of Ammon recognizes this. He most likely is saying to himself, what does this guy think? Who does he think he is? He's not the king of Israel. There is no king in Israel at this particular time in Israel's history. He's particularly, he is a judge, a ruler of a particular group of people, but he is conducting himself as a king. And that immediately is going to turn off the king of Ammon to him and anything that he has to say. And that is true in our day as well. Whenever you speak to someone who comes across as if they have an exalted view of themselves, you're going to pretty much tune out what they're saying. Let me ask you a question. Do we have leaders today who have an exalted view of themselves? We do. And I, there's many leaders who have that perspective. They have an exalted view of themselves. And as a result, they become unsuccessful in getting to people to listen to them in whatever they're saying. That's number one. Jephthah's words were unsuccessful in getting his opponent to listen to him because, number one, he had an exalted view of himself. Number two, Jephthah's words were unsuccessful in getting his opponent to listen to him because he demonstrated factual ignorance in his argument. Verses 14 to 24. Now, what I'm going to do here, this is a bit lengthy, and it's also a bit wordy. It's going to list uh, many peoples and places that we may not be familiar with. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a portion of the passage, and then I'm going to explain what the argument that Jephthah is making, beginning in verse 14. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him, Thus says Jephthah. You can see the, this is the same formula that God would use when God sent a prophet to speak to his people. The prophet would say, thus saith the Lord, a superior speaking to an inferior. And we see this haughty attitude in Jephthah. Thus says Jephthah. Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. And so Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab. They came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon River. But they did not enter the border of Moab for the Arnon, for the Arnon River was the border of Moab. You say, okay, what on earth is going on here? What is, what is Jephthah saying? Jephthah is making an argument. Remember, the king of Ammon said, you have taken our land. Your people have taken our land when you came up from Egypt. And so Jephthah is going to respond to that. And he's going to say, no, 
basically, you're wrong. And he's going to rephrase, uh, he's going to correct the king of Ammon's view of history. And he said, when we came up out of Egypt, we came to the place of Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. And when we came there, we were unable to enter the land because of disobedience. And so God sent us back out into the wilderness for 40 years. And then after the 40 years, we came back to that same place, Kadesh Barnea. And when we went there, the first thing we did is that we asked the people of Edom, we asked the king of Edom if we could pass through their land. And then we asked the people of the king of Moab if we could pass through their land. Why would the Israelites do that back then? It was because the, 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 the land that the Edomites lived in and the land of the Moabites lived in were in the direct route of the Israelites taking the land that God was going to give them as a promise, as a gift. The Israelites were looking for the most direct route to go to their promised land and the, the, king, of, the king of Edom and the king of Moab and their peoples were in the way. And so they asked for permission, and they were denied from both the Edomites and the Moabites. Remember, the Edomites and the Moabites are both related to the Israelites. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. And the Moabites were the descendants of Moab, who was the child of Lot's incestuous relationship with one of his daughters. And Lot was the nephew of Abraham. So these were two people groups that were related to the Israelites. And when the Israelites came up from Egypt, they thought that they could ask permission from their relatives. And because it was the shortest route to their homeland, they could just simply ask and they would be granted passage. But they were not. And the response is striking. The Israelites don't wage war against them. Jephthah says... What we did was that we bypassed the land of Edom, we bypassed the land of Moab, we went to the south, we went to the east, we came up north, we never set foot in their land. So what he's saying to the king of Ammon is he's, he's portraying that the Israelites are on high moral ground because we never attacked anybody. We didn't do anything like that. And then he continues his argument in verse 19. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. Heshbon was the capital of the Amorites' territory. And Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through its territory. So Sihon gathered all of his people together and camped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all of his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Ammon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. Now here's what Jephthah is saying. He said, we have already bypassed two people groups and their territory, thus not violating. We have upheld the territorial integrity, the territorial boundaries of these peoples. 
And then once we did that, we almost came to the promised land, but there was another group of people that was in the way. And those were the Amorites. And they asked uh, the king of the Amorite uh, if we could pass through their land so that they can go to the land that God had promised them. But King Sihon, the king of the Amorites, says, no, we're not going to allow you to pass through. The only difference now is that the king of the Amorites attacks the children of Israel. And so they wage war with each other. With the result, the Israelites won. And as a result, the Israelites end up taking over the land of the Amorites, which is the current land which is being in dispute and th what he's saying is, this is how we got the land, O king of Ammon. Jephthah is saying we got the land because we were attacked and then God gave it to us as a gift. You never had possession of this land. And Jephthah makes a sound argument to the king of Ammon thus far. But now he's going to get into trouble. Verses 23 and 24. And now... The Lord God of Israel has dispossessed or driven out the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you, king of Ammon, then possess our land? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So he makes the, the point that, hey, the reason why we have this land it's not because we ever took it from you. We got it because the, we were attacked and God gave it to us because we were wronged. And that's how we got the land. And he says, if that's the case and God gave us our land, won't your God, Chemosh, give you your land? Now, there's a problem with that argument. What's the problem? The problem is that Chemosh was not the God of the Ammonites. Chemosh was a god of a different people, the Moabites. Now, here you are, you're Jephthah, you're making a pretty solid argument, and then all of a sudden, you make that blunder to the king of Ammon, and he hears that? What do you think he's going to think when he hears Jephthah make such a statement? He's going to totally dismiss the argument, even though everything that he had been saying up to that point in time was accurate and true, but because he didn't know his facts... He was ignorant of that fact, or he dismissed it. The king is not going to pay any attention to his words. The reason why Jephthah was unsuccessful in getting his opponent to listen to him is because he demonstrated factual ignorance in his argument. Do we see that happen today among our leaders? Leaders today seem to speak without really thinking before they speak. It is interesting to note that Jephthah, last week we saw that he was dispossessed, that is, he was driven out of the land because of his brothers. Now we're seeing that the king of Ammon wants to drive out Jephthah from the land. And I can imagine that Jephthah is thinking about his past experience being driven out of the land, and he does not want that to happen again. And he may be becoming emotional in his argument. And oftentimes, as I think about that, oftentimes in the heat of conflict, in debate, people get so heated, they don't think about what their arguments are. 
and they just say things out of the heat of passion, out of the heat of emotion, and they get their facts mixed up. And when leaders do that, it makes those people unfit to lead. And we do see that today. So Jephthah's words were unsuccessful in getting his opponent to listen to him because he demonstrated factual ignorance in his argument. And we do see that today among our leaders. And thirdly, Jephthah's words were unsuccessful in getting his opponent to listen to him because he resorted to personal attacks in contending with his rival. Verses 25 and 27 through 27. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? In other words, are you superior than this king of Moab in the past? What he's implying is that you're not. You're weak. Did, did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? In other words, who do you think you are, O king of, of Ammon? While Israel dwelt in the city of Heshbon and its villages, in Aor and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of the Arden for 300 years, why didn't you recover them within that time frame? You did nothing. Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. Here we see in these passages that Jephthah has resorted to what is called in Latin an ad hominem form of argumentation. Those readers who have studied Latin will know that the preposition ad means to or toward and that the hominem of ad hominem is an inflected form of the noun homo or person making the literal meaning of the phrase toward the person. An ad hominem argument is a phrase that is chiefly used to describe an argument based on the personal traits of an adversary rather than on the merits of the case and that is exactly what Jephthah has done. He strayed away from the, from the merits of his argument and he started attacking the person. And as soon as he does that, the king of Ammon is not going to want to have anything to do or is not going to pay any attention to what Jephthah has to say. So let me ask you a question. Are leaders resorting to personal attacks in contending with their rivals today? They most certainly are. It's become commonplace. No one debates issues anymore. Everything's personal attacks, which makes people who do so unfit to lead. This was Jephthah, and it's no wonder why we read in verse 28 that Jephthah, that the king of Ammon paid no attention to the words of Jephthah through his messengers. It was a sad state of affairs. And when I look at the world in which we live in today, it's a sad state of affairs with the leadership that we see and their conduct. We see our leaders have an exalted view of themselves oftentimes. 
They often demonstrate factual ignorance in their arguments. And they, more times than not today, will often resort to personal attacks and contending with their rivals. And it causes me to reflect that the reason why that the people of Israel are in such a situation was not political, it was spiritual. It was the people of Israel's continued disobedience to God and his word that caused God to hand them over to their enemy, which would cause political problems, which laid the groundwork for leaders such as Jephthah to rise to the occasion. As I said last week, it's depressing. And the question that is, what can we do as God's people in such a situation in such a, in such a uh, conflict, conflicting, uh, contentious time as we currently live. I recited Second Chronicles 7.14. This is the only thing that I can think of as God's people that we can do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. The only way we can reverse course is through repentance and prayer. Genuine repentance and prayer through a changed heart and mind. That's the only way we can change the situation in which we live. To have God work in us in that way. But there is hope. There is hope. It is interesting to note that Jephthah sta- says at the end of his argument, he basically hands everything over to the Lord his God. We leave it in God's hands because he is the judge and he will judge. And that is true today. This should remind us that behind all the human judges and leaders that exist today stands the one true God, the one true and honest judge whose existence and action is the ultimate determinant of all of that happens. So regardless of what happens in the future, both days from now, months from now, years from now, no matter what happens and who's in power, Regardless if we like the person in power or dislike the people in power, regardless as Christians, we know that the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, is the judge of all. And he is in control of all things. So in light of all of the chaos, of all of the shortcomings of the leaders that we see in our land, remember that God is in control of it all. And it is to him whom we turn and we trust and in whom we hope. May that be in our hearts and minds as the days and months go forward. As the days become darker, may the bride of Christ shine brighter. And may we not be afraid to speak God's truth in such a time as this. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. 
Lord, this was a, it's a tough passage to follow with so many terms and uh, people and locations we're unfamiliar with. But we do learn, Lord, that uh, as leaders, we need to be humble in our speech. We need to know what we're talking about before we speak. And we need to maintain that when we do open our mouths, we never attack other people. It's okay to challenge ideas, Father, but not your people made in your image. And at times it's hard to do that, especially in a contentious time in which we live. But help us, Lord, to, to, to learn from Jephthah and his speech towards the king of Ammon. Help us, Lord, to to walk in your ways with humility, with integrity, focusing on the issue and on the ideas, not on people and their person. Lord, help us to be more like you these days. Raise us up to be holy, righteous people who stand for truth and righteousness. And we will give you all the glory and the praise when you do so. For without you, we can do nothing. So Lord, hear our prayer this day and give us strength and courage this day. Help us to be in your word, in your Bible, and to meditate meditate in your truth and let it soak in us so that people will see you in us. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor that you alone deserve. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.